Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Tonight we're going to be talking about significant known and unknown people. Significant known and unknown people. You know, many times we've been kind of led to believe that the ones that are significant in life are the ones who have their names in the bright lights, those that are seen. But we're going to look tonight and we're going to see that God has a place for those individuals as well as those that are behind the scenes. There is no insignificant person. And if the enemy has tried to convince you that you are insignificant and unimportant, I want you to know tonight, God makes no junk. God created you. He has a plan for your life. You are significant. And so I want you to know tonight, there's no such thing as an insignificant person. And secondly, I want you to know there's no such thing as an insignificant action in life. No one is insignificant, and no actions in life are insignificant. Let's talk for a few moments about maybe some that uh, we all know from history, and um, as a result of knowing them from history, we would say they are significant known persons. And if I were to give you the name of Jonas Salk, what would you say? Jonas Salk. Ring a bell? Polio vaccine, that's right. 1955. How many in the room have had a polio vaccine at some time or another in your life? Most of you probably have, and even if you don't know it, you probably did when you were a child. My brother, Cleon, he was one that uh, uh, polio began to affect his lungs and his breathing and uh, even his legs, and uh, by divine intervention of God, God spared him. But Jonas Salk, back in 1955, he created the vaccine that has literally changed the world and almost eliminated what we know this polio to be. If I were to give you the name of Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison, what would come to mind? The electric light bulb, that's right. The incandescent light bulb. Now, he did not create the first light bulb, but he created the first light bulb that actually worked. Matter of fact, he had 10,000 times that he had failed before he found the right tungsten and the right combination of vacuum and so on in order to create a light bulb. And uh, he literally has changed our lives. Think about that. Of all the places that light is a part of our everyday light, a life, and including here in this um, gymnasium or when we walk outside tonight or get in our automobiles, um, all of that we have him to thank for. Matter of fact, some of you from times past, and it's actually coming back again, a phonograph. And uh, the phonograph was also made by Thomas Edison. And so he's significant in history. It's all of these things have an impact upon our life. Film and uh, the movie industry all owes its uh, beginnings to this guy that's called Thomas Edison. If I were to give you the name of uh, Henry Ford, what would you say? Henry Ford is known for what? 
automobile, that's right. And again, he did not create the first automobile, but rather he is the one that created what we know to be Model T and Model A and some of the other series as well, all the way up to the current Fords of today. But he decided that the only individuals that could have an automobile back in the early days was the very wealthy. They were very, very expensive. And he wanted to see everyone benefit from, you know, the automobile. And so he was the first to start an assembly line, reducing the price of the Model T so that it was within reach of everyone. And the price was anywhere between $600 and $800. So you could buy a brand new automobile. And he said you could have any color you wanted as long as it was black. And he would have, you know, very, very few uh, accessories to them, very simple automobiles, but they got you where you were to go. And so it was an affordable individual automobile where all could have transportation. Now, if I were to give you the name of Alexander Graham Bell, what does that remind you of? The telephone, that's right. Matter of fact, when he uh, created the telephone, he said this, first words over it. Anybody remember what they were? What hath God wrought? What is it that God has brought about? And when you think about, you know, the, the phone systems we have today, and of course they're much more sophisticated today than they were in the origination, but, you know, the telephone today has literally brought people together. Some of you have family members that are living in uh, faraway places, even other countries, uh, you might find, you know, uh, your cell phone able to contact family or friends anywhere that you are at, most any place in America, and reach out to those. They're in other countries around the world, so it made the world a much smaller place. And again, you find that, um, you know, the telephone has changed all of our lives, just as the polio vaccine has changed our lives, and the phonograph, or the ability to um, have lights and all of this has really affected our lives. These are significant individuals, and we know their names out of history. And when you think of uh, Alexander Graham Bell, he probably didn't know that telemarketer, telemarketers were going to come along. He probably didn't know that we'd get phone calls at all times of the day saying, did you know that your car warranty was about to expire? And... Uh, but these are names that we all know, and we know them well because of history. And we could go on and on. Let me give you one more. And that would be Wilbur and Orville Wright, the Wright brothers. What would you say? Airplane, that's right. Matter of fact, their aircraft that they designed was the first heavier-than-air aircraft uh, to ever fly any distance at all. And the distance was 1,760 feet. Now, most uh, runways are longer than that today, but that was the length of that first flight, and that took place on December the 17th of 1903 in Kitty Hawk. Now, we all know the story of that, and many of us have seen the pictures of that first very primitive aircraft. And when you think of where aircraft has gone in just a short period of time, 1903, the very first only 1,700 and some feet of flight, Today, you can take and circle the earth, and it has made the world such a small place. But the advancement and all of that all started by these two brothers that had a bicycle shop and were determined that men could fly. 
And so their lives have impacted all of us. Now let's give you another name. A name that's uh, not nearly as well known, and we'll see how well you do on some of these that are lesser known and considered by some even less significant names. Bartholomewis Arnold von Usingen. Anybody ever hear that name? I can't even pronounce it, let alone know who he was. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. How many have heard of the name of Martin Luther? Martin Luther. Martin Luther, you know him because he was the one that was on the cutting edge of the Reformation. He, like others, were trained by this von Wiesen, von, uh, let's see, let me look at it again, von Usingen. And uh, he was trained in all of his theology and doctrine by this person. And this doctrine that he was learning from this individual, it began to really stir on the inside of him because he realized the practice of the church at that time, which was selling indulgences, was involved in a lot of corruption, both in government and outside of government, and the abuse of power and all of this that was going on within the Roman Catholic Church. And he rose up, and as you well know, and you know the account, he went to the church at Wittenberg, nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door, and it started what we know today to be the Reformation. Had it not been for Martin Luther, had it not been for the Reformation, all of us would be Roman Catholics today, because that was the primary, and that was the theology, and that was the practice of his time. And so this young German monk, he began to, to realize that the teaching that was being given to him, we know his name, but few of us in this room would have ever known the name of the teacher that taught him the theology that literally began to shake the world. Let me give you another name and see how you do on this one. Edward Kimball, a whole lot easier to pronounce, Edward Kimball. How many know the name Edward Kimball and what he is noted for? Anyone? He is one of those that we might say then fits into this category of being insignificant in the minds of some. His name really doesn't ring a bell with us much at all. But let me tell you a little bit about him. In 1854, Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Detroit, Michigan, and one day he went to visit a 17-year-old boy that was in his Sunday school class who had very little interest in God, very little interest in religion. And so rather than just allowing this young man to live his life and go on his way towards hell without anyone stopping him along the journey, and uh, he went to the place where he worked, which was a, a shoe store. And in the shoe store that day, when he went to visit this 17-year-old boy, this young man gave his life to Jesus Christ because of the life and the testimony of Edward Kimball, a name that none of us really would know. That young man was none other than D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, literally, how many know the name D.L. Moody now? You know D.L. Moody, and you know his name because... He was a great evangelist that even in his day, all of this taking place in the 1800s, 
He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, they say, with more than 100 million people all around the globe. He literally has shaped nations of the world. He went to study in England, and while there in England, they asked him to speak in one of the local churches, and revival broke out. And revival broke out to the extent that 30,000 people started coming, standing in the streets. And there was a great revival that took place in Edinburgh and uh, London and other places throughout the UK. And so we know, as we trace back, this man in his history of, of D.L. Moody goes back to someone by the name of Edward Kimball. But it doesn't stop there. The story goes on. Through the ministry of D.L. Moody, he was responsible for a London pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer coming to Christ. Now, does anyone remember the name F.B. Meyer? Those of you that are, you know, readers of theology, you've probably read a lot of F.B. Meyer's uh, books. He writes a lot of theology, and uh, his books are kind of classics in various areas of biblical study. And uh, it was through D.L. Moody that F.B. Meyer came to faith in Christ. Meyer then was responsible for F.J., or rather J. Wilbur Chapman, uh, coming to faith. Chapman influenced Billy Sunday. How many remember the name Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was a baseball player that became an evangelist, and literally God used him all across America and other nations of the world as well. And Billy Sunday was the one that reached Mordecai Ham for Christ. And some of you may have heard that name. And Mordecai Ham was the preacher that shared the gospel with a young man by the name of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. See, all this started with a guy by the name of Kimball that nobody knew and all of these others, their lives were influenced and impacted by someone that had an experience that goes all the way back to a shoe shop in Detroit, Michigan. And the world is different today because of this man that went to share Christ with a 17-year-old that had no interest in God, no interest in the Bible, no interest in, in following Christ at all. And that becomes a spiritual legacy. So Ed Kimber's or Kimball's story reminds us then that we should never underestimate the influence that you can have in the world by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even with one person, because often it is like dominoes, one after another. If I were to give you the name of Pearl Good, some pronounce it Goody, but Good. If I were to give you the name of Pearl Good, is there anyone in the room that's heard that name? Pearl Good, another one of those that might be called insignificant. She is from Pasadena, California, 60 years of age at the time, back in 1949, when Billy Graham went to Los Angeles to hold a tent crusade. She was so impacted by his ministry, this widow at the age of 60, former nurse, she decided that what she would do is to go and lock herself into a motel room in the communities where Billy Graham was going to go and preach. 
And Billy Graham said in 1996, out of his own mouth, as he was sharing the impact that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has had on the world, it all goes back to Pearl Good. Pearl would take and go to whatever city she did not drive. She would ride Greyhound. Matter of fact, she'd rode the Greyhound some 48,000 miles going to cities where Billy Graham was going to preach. She would come several weeks in advance, and she would find out the exact place and the location where the uh, crusade was going to take place, off times in huge arenas or, you know, outdoor facilities of one sort or another. And she would find a motel room as close as she could find to it. And there she would lock herself in and fast and pray and believe that God would move in that city. And Billy Graham would say to, you know, to anyone that would ever ask, you know, the, the, the power and the change and the transformation that happened in lives wasn't merely because of my preaching. It was because of this woman that would go and lock herself away and seek the face of God for a community that was not her community, but believing that God would use Billy Graham to touch lives. If I were to give you the name of C.M. Ward, how many would have heard that name? C.M. Ward, some of you know that name. He was the voice of Revival Time. Revival Time worldwide. At the time, over 600 stations all around the world was carrying what was called Revival Time. And uh, this man literally helped shape modern Pentecost in the church of today both in Canada, the United States, and around the world. But what is interesting, one time I was with uh, C.M. Ward. He was one of the keynote speakers at what was called Higher Goals or Higher, Higher Aim for the Assemblies of God. And it was a minister's meeting that was being held in Des Moines, Iowa. And they were going to do an interview with uh, C.M. Ward. And so during this interview, one of the questions that they asked C.M. Ward was, out of all the people that, you know, have, have spoken into your life, teachers, educators, you know, anyone that's had an influence in your life, who has influenced you the most of anyone in your life? To which he rather quickly responded, and I remember because I was in the room, and he responded with a woman's name that I honestly can't even recall what it was. And everyone in the room, and the interviewer said, um, excuse me, um, I've never heard of this individual. Oh, I'll tell you who she is. That was my Methodist Sunday school teacher in the elementary grades and literally changed my life and the trajectory of my life as a young Canadian boy growing up near Winnipeg. Friends, I want you to know, in this world in which we live, whereby people are often, you know, they're set aside of we don't know your, 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 your name. It's not in the bright lights. It's not on the cover of a book. It isn't, you know, on a bulletin as the preacher or the pastor of a church. Um, therefore, they somehow diminish them into someone that's unknown and insignificant. But I remind you, there's no one that is insignificant this young Sunday school teacher probably had no idea that C.M. Ward would one day grow up and become the speaker for worldwide radio. 
and that his influence and his message would win thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Let me throw out one more name. What if I were to give you the name of Arthur Berg? Arthur Berg. Anybody ever heard that name? Arthur Berg. Arthur was a, a missionary to the Belgian Congo. Those of you who know the story of the Belgian Congo, it was a very wicked place. You see, in the Congo, they discovered rubber and, and the base that they need to create rubber. And so all around the world, this desire and need for rubber, much of it came out of the Congo. And out of the Congo, it was under such times of, of domination and uh, tyranny that families were required to bring in a certain, you know, allotment of rubber every single day, every member of the family, the small children, everyone. And if you did not bring it in, there was severe consequences. You say, how severe? They would cut the hands off five-year-old children and say, you will never do anything again, and many times even taken their very lives. And so there were children that were maimed. They were without feet, without arms, without fingers, without hands. And it was a way to, to cause the father and the mother of the household to get out and work doubly hard. And so it was a time and a place of great, you know, pain. And um, this missionary by the name of Arthur Berg, he made quite an impact there. He himself came to Christ at the age of 14. And um, he said, I never forgot, you know, as a young person, the transformation that God made in my life. And therefore, he invested in the lives of others. And he continued to do so as an evangelist after his missionary endeavors there in the uh, Belgian Congo. And uh, one day, this man came through Sisseton, South Dakota, a little town of only 3,500, the town that I grew up in in South Dakota, in the northeast corner, just 30 miles from North Dakota, 10 miles from Minnesota. He came through, and he was holding a crusade there. And I remember so vividly the night that I felt that tug of God as he was preaching. Nobody knows Arthur Berg much today, but my life was absolutely transformed. I was only five years of age. He could have said, that's a five-year-old. But remember, he gave his life to Christ at 14, so he gave great credibility to children making a decision for Christ. And he stayed right at the altar. He stayed there. Matter of fact, my parents, the pastor said, just go ahead and, you know, you go home, and God is working on, on your son. Just let him be. And he stayed with me until maybe 1.30 in the morning. And that's that moment, my life was transformed. Oh, you say five-year-old and how much transformation can take place. Friends, I can only tell you that the same God that saves is the same God that can keep us. And when he keeps us, he keeps us from a life of sin. He keeps us from destroying ourselves, body, soul, and spirit. And I am so grateful for the ministry of Arthur Berg. He may not be known to you, but he is vitally important to me. There is no insignificant people. There is no insignificant actions. The actions that may happen even yet this evening as we greet each other in the hallway, when we talk to each other across the table, these, these conversations 
There's no such thing as just a meaningless conversation, a, you know, a, a insignificant action in life. The smallest actions in life can have lifetime ramifications, either for good or for bad. You see, we're always influencing one way or another. And here are men that have influenced our lives with light and with sound and with all kinds of, you know, vehicles and, you know, flight and all the things that are part of all of our days and part of our lives. Matter of fact, what is interesting is the fact that there are five men that spend a lot of time together. And there's a book that's actually titled Five it's, it's Uncommon Friends, and it talks about five guys. And the five that they talk about in this book is Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Harvey Firestone of Firestone Rubber, Charles Lindbergh of Flight, and Alexis Carrell, which is a name maybe you don't know. He was a physician that actually created the very first heart pump so that they could do, you know, transferring of of organs and, you know, all of that. And so these five, they would get together and they literally, the synergy of these five together was amazing. When you look at, you know, Firestone, when you look at Henry Ford or look at Edison, look at any one of these and you'll discover that they have impacted every one of our lives almost every day of our life. Now, someone has said, if you want to find out what your tomorrow is like, look at who you're hanging around today. The kind of friends you choose and the type of individuals you surround yourself with is going to be an indication of what your future is going to look like. Therefore, these five men, and I've been blessed to, down by Fort Myers, Florida, there is the home there of, of Edison and of Ford. And you'll find that you go there, and it's just, it's, it's a fascinating place. It's very simple. It's like a cottage. But nonetheless, you'll see where these brainy guys got together, and they shared with one another. And so you find someone that was in aviation helping a physician come up with a pump that is going to help for generations. They can do transplants and also teaching sutures of how to do the most finest, you know, kind of, of surgery that is necessary to preserve lives. It comes out of these guys sharing with one another. And in moments like this, moments that we spend in the house of God, at our jobs during the day, all of this, there is incredible opportunity for transition, for power to be released you know, in ideas. And I would just encourage you, when you're together with others, you know, the Bible says that brothers should be with brother. It's, you know, it, it's like iron sharpening iron. And the same is true for women. And when you're together sometimes, you know, the sparks may fly. And it's conversations that sometimes are not always comfortable. But it's you're pounding out, you're working out things, and you're seeing what can be, what should be, and you're talking and not only talking, but you're putting yourself and your energies behind them. And that's what these early people did, both the known names and the unknown. Their impact is amazing. Pearl Goody, think of how 
The world was impacted by Billy Graham and by his ministry. And Billy Graham says, I could tell when she was praying. When she died somewhere just prior to 1996, when she passed away, Billy Graham said, when I get up to preach, he said, I could tell when she was praying and I can tell when she is not praying any longer. Your impact, your significance. And I want you to know you are very, very, very gifted, talented, chosen by God, and that you have something to give to this culture and to this generation that surrounds us. Now, I want you to take a moment at your tables. Many times we start out with this, but I want to pause in the middle here, and I want you to answer this question around your table. Who has influenced your life the most and how? Will you do that for me now? Next few moments, I want you around your tables. Who has influenced you the most, and how did they accomplish that? Let's take a few moments and do that, all right? Should be on the screen. Who has influenced your life the most, and how? Okay, let's think about that for a moment. And I realize some of you at larger tables with more individuals is kind of a tough you know, period of time to try to get all of that in. But uh, nonetheless, let's just kind of find out some categories here for a moment. How many said that it was a family member that influenced you the most? It could be a mother, father, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, someone. Let me just kind of wave your hands. Will you do that? Okay, take a look around and see. All right, all of those. They say that's a family member. How many said it was a friend, a friend Friend from maybe, you know, grade school, high school, college, uh, next door neighbor. It was a friend. How many found that it was uh, maybe a teacher in school? Let me see your hands. All right. So all of us, you know, we began to think about how someone's influenced our life and put us on many times a different trajectory. I was coming down the hallway of North Central University and it was graduation week, and um, I ran into a guy by the name of Jack Strom. Jack Strom was responsible for uh, what they call the upfront man for the college, the advancement of the college. And um, he said, Jerry, and uh, you know, we we're kind of passing by. There's a lot of people coming and going in the hallway there at the college. And uh, he said, uh, where are you headed this um, now that you're graduating? I said, well, you know, we've got various opportunities here and there, but um, uh, we're not quite sure yet. We're still praying about where we believe that God would have us to go. He said, I was just in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I just got back a little earlier today. And um, he said, um, have you ever considered Milwaukee? I said, no. Matter of fact, I told him this, because my older brothers always told me, Brooks's go west, they don't go east. And so anything that would be east of the Mississippi was, you know, kind of something that was out there, you know, and no man's land, and why should I even consider that? Matter of fact, I knew nothing about Milwaukee other than they brewed stuff here, all right? <laughs> I knew nothing else about this city, honestly. Honestly, I knew nothing about it. He said, well, I just had been with a man by the name of John Wanamaker. He said, and I think that the two of you would make a great team. He said, I think you ought to check that out. Now, it was a conversation in a hallway. And out of that conversation, 
that Jack shared with me, and it was no more than a minute long, maybe 30 seconds to a minute at the most. And those 30 seconds to a minute literally began to cause me to think and to pray, you know, maybe, maybe God would have something for us here in Milwaukee. Maybe breaking the mold, Brooks's go to California, they go to Oregon, they go to Idaho, they go Arizona, they go west, they don't go east. Maybe God is calling me to break the molds and go this direction. And as we begin to pray about it, God began to speak to us about coming here uh, to the city of Milwaukee. And we served for four years with John Wanamaker. And uh, it was a wonderful time of both ministry and, and being tutored by one of the great men of God. And uh, so blessed to have done so. But I think how that one conversation and how short it was, how it's changed my life forever. I've lived in Milwaukee now more than I lived any place else by, by, you know, X times three or whatever. It has changed the life not only of my life, but of my wife. It's changed the life of my children and now my grandchildren. Our lives have all been, you know, put on a, a different trajectory because of one conversation with one man by the name of Jack Strom. And I am so grateful that Jack, as he was passing by me in the hall that day, with a lot of other students coming, going all different directions, that he stopped and had just a quick word with me that day. You see, many times, those that influence us the most, they're not long, heavy conversations. Matter of fact, many times there's something they'll say and we go back and we kind of marinate it and we begin to think it over and we begin to dwell on it and we begin to ponder it and we begin to put it into our prayers and we begin to think about these things and, and it begins to, to literally change our attitude. It begins to change, you know, the direction of our life. And so it was with that one simple conversation. So those that have changed you know, the trajectory of your life have influenced you the most. I want you to think about what was the moment or the many moments that they sowed into your life. I want you to talk about that around your table for just a moment. The individual that you said has influenced you the most, has impacted your life the most. What was it they did, said, were, I mean, just, you know, maybe it was just the fact that they were what they were, you know, and, and I want you to think about that. Talk about it around your table for just a moment. The individual you just talked about, what was it that so impacted your life by what they did? So out of your conversation so far, how many have discovered that maybe it was not what some would call a significant thing that changed your life. But rather, it was something rather simple. But it was something that was timely. Something that at a moment of change in your life, when you were seeking direction or when you were you know, frustrated and you were longing for direction for your life, somebody spoke into your life something that literally changed your life. I talked to two, I know we've got some Teen Challenge in the house. I was talking to some of the uh, Teen Challenge guys that were coming to pick up the, the Dropbox stuff, you know, that we give to the um, resale shop. 
and uh, asking where they're from. And uh, one was from Sheboygan, the other one was from Wapaka. And, uh, you know, in each of their lives, there was a moment of influence that somebody had that literally brought them to a point of saying, I don't want to live the way I'm living any longer. There's no sense wasting away the rest of my life and that God has a better plan for my life. And those moments become life-changing and they become life-changing forever. And so in those moments, some of you are probably talking about, you know, family gatherings, something was said. But, you know, on the opposite side, if we're not careful, a harsh, unkind, you know, a slight, all of these things, they all have an impact upon us as well. There is no insignificant people and there's no insignificant action because every action creates Something inside of us, we begin to respond in some way. It either harms, hurts, it cuts, it damages, it bruises, or it brings life. I love the song that I believe it's Toby Mac, Speak Life. Speak life. Speak life. Make that our, our motto, that we speak life to one another. We speak life into each other. You know, uh, an unkind word. I was on the phone with uh, Randy Hurst. Randy called me from Fort Myers, Florida. He was getting ready to preach uh, a service down there at the Silver Dome. And he called. He said, I'm doing a, a poll. He said, I just want to see. There's no right or wrong answer to it. He said, he said, if somebody says something to you that really hurts, how many times do they have to say something good in order to you know, get you to forget about that bad moment, that bad feeling, that bruise, that cut to your spirit. How many does it take? And uh, I said, well, I don't know. Maybe it's 10 to 1. He says, you know what the ratio is of the poll that I've taken, which is not scientific? It's 100 to 1. And isn't that true? So there's no insignificant persons and there's no insignificant actions in life. Everything we do has an action which brings about a reaction. Let's talk about King David for a moment. Think about King David, and I want you to think about who do you think the influencers were in King David's life? And I want you to just shout them out to me if you can, one by one. Just Samuel. Who was Samuel? He was the prophet, right? And he is the prophet that anointed him to be king over Israel. Who else? One more time. Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan. Matter of fact, the first time he was with Jonathan, the Bible says their hearts were knit together. They just became best buds. They became, you know, BFFs, best friends for life. And certainly was an influence. Someone else? Saul. Yeah, this crazy man, Saul. Can you imagine how you would feel, you know, as a young teenager or just as a young 20-something that, you know, you're, you're talking to the king and the king takes a javelin and throws it at you and, you know, you just duck it out and, you know, it sticks into the wall and you realize this guy, he's out to kill you. And, uh, yeah, Saul... Jonathan, Samuel, who else? 
Nathan, yeah. Nathan was gutsy. He's another one that confronted him and told him that what he was doing and the sin with Bathsheba needed to be repented of and withstood the king on that issue. Anyone else you can think of in his life? Bathsheba, yes, Bathsheba. And uh, Bathsheba, as you know the account, ultimately the king invited her over to the house. He saw her bathing from his rooftop. You know what is interesting? You know, a lot of people don't know this, but in Israel to this very day, they have a lot of rooftop kind of places where they will bathe. And uh, uh, Bathsheba was bathing, and the king was looking over the parapet of his palace, over his house, into their house, which was, according to the law of the time, that in and of itself was a violation. You are not to be peering. I mean, that's kind of window peeking in today's, you know. It's, it's the stalker kind of person that's, you know, looking, you know, and staring and all of that. That was totally um, wrong, and it started an immoral act, and it caused the death of Uriah and a whole other mess of things that took place in his life. So Bathsheba, yes. Anyone else you can think of? Goliath, yeah. I don't think you'd forget that guy. He was out defying the children of Israel, and something welled up within him and said, who do you think you are defying the Lord God and the people of God? And he went out on the battlefield. He met him out there. And you talk about trash talk because, you know, um, Goliath was saying things like, you come out here and I'm going to give you to eat. You know, your corpse is going to be eaten by the birds of the air and so on and so forth. And, you know, you're just a little twerp of a guy and I'll take care of you. And all of this kind of thing was going on. So all of these influencers. But in addition to that, I believe that his mother had an influence, don't you? Matter of fact, they say the first influence in our life is the life of our mother. Father, brothers, he had seven brothers. All of these had an influence upon his life. And you'll find that David, David had to make some tough decisions throughout his lifetime. Some he made that were good, some he made that were not so good. But in all of this, the Bible says he retained a heart for God, wanted to know God. And something was stirring inside of him. There was influences that probably go back to his father, to his mother, maybe that of Samuel, others that were influencing his life. And I would just encourage you once again to know that your significant, the things you say to your sons, to your daughters, to your friends, the way we carry ourselves, the way we respond in everyday life can either make or break someone else. Let me jump all the way to the end here. And that is, Significant people, they share four traits. Here's the traits. It's going to be just one, two, three, four. And uh, let me give them to you. First of all, selfless devotion. Selfless devotion. They're not in it for themselves. They're in it for others. They live not for themselves. They do not live only for their own benefit, but they live for the benefit of others. And you look at, you know, whether it's Firestone or whether it is Henry Ford, or whether it's 
Edison or whether it's Salk or any of the others or any of these that influenced other preachers and so on that we talked about, um, they all lived a life whereby it was selfless devotion. It was devotion first to God, and they were devoted to one another. You know what we read about in the early church in the book of Acts? It says they were devoted to one another, not devoted to themselves. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Both of them were, you know, struck dead because of lying to the Holy Spirit and all of that. Um, they were not devoted. They were devoted only to themselves. And so significant people, they are filled with a selfless devotion. Secondly, they have a mission focus. There's a mission. And that mission may be to make a flying machine. It could be to have rubber tires. It could be because, you know, there is uh, a need for a vaccine. There could be all of these things. They live with a mission focus. And I believe that we need to live with a mission focus in our lives. And then you'll discover that they have a harmonious manner. You know, they're not cross, cross kind of people. You know, they're the kind that they live their lives in a wonderful way, a harmonious manner in getting along with others. You know, there's a lot to fight about if that's the way you want to spend your life. Amen? You want to spend your life fighting away? Have you ever had just, you know, kind of a nasty snarl? that you gave, I mean, okay, preacher being honest, you know, and you said something and you thought afterwards, that was so stupid. And then you try to reel it back in and there's no way to do it because it's already gone out, it's already had its effect upon another. And, um, you know, living in a harmonious manner, you can either spend your days, you know, somebody described, you said that, I believe it was our guest on Sunday, uh, Chad. Wasn't Chad great? And that was a wonderful testimony, great day. But Chad said, you know, the coldest and the most separated place in the whole world is when the wife is hugging one side of the bed and he is hugging the other, living in a harmonious way. And then fourthly and last of all, they have a contagious joy, a contagious joy. You know, there's something about joy that gives you strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. So where does the enemy want to attack us? He wants to attack us in the zone of our joy because if he can rob us of our joy, he can rob us of our strength. That's right. And when our strength is gone, that is when we find ourselves in so many ways failing, failing ourselves, failing our loved ones, failing others. Here's the way I close every morning as our staff gets together for a time of uh, devotions. And um, sometimes in the room, it's uh, a lay person that's with us, somebody that's maybe volunteering for the day. And uh, anyone and everyone, you're all invited to any of our devotional times. They happen every single, every morning at 8.30 in the multi-purpose room. And so we have people around the campus that are here for various reasons and purposes that will join in with us. But at the end of it, every single day, there's something I always say to the staff just before we depart that room to go off for a day. I tell them, let's make it a great day and let's make a difference today. Let's make it a great evening. 
and let's make a difference in our city, our state, our nation, our homes. We can do it. You're people of significance. And every action that we have is a significant action. Lives can be transformed when we'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. My mother would always say, you know, not only are the steps of a righteous person order the Lord, so are the stops. And sometimes in our busy world, I think the Lord is just saying, you need to, to stop. You need to stop and have a conversation. You need to stop long enough just to encourage someone. And I pray that that is the way that we will live our lives, lives of significance. Our names may never be in bright lights. They may never be known by the world. But they're known by the one that cares and knows the most about us and wants the very best for us. And that is our Heavenly Father. Amen. Father, we're so grateful that um, you allow us to have an impact, Lord, in this world. No man is an island unto themselves. Every one of us, we all have an impact that we make upon others. And I pray, Lord, that in these next few moments as they close out at their tables, I pray, oh God, in these next moments, they would just ponder the fact we can make a difference. In a world where there is so much disillusionment, where there's so much fighting, so much that goes on that only brings heartache, and we ask, oh God, that we could be emissaries of hope in this generation. Lord, that we would make a difference. Lord, that we would not allow our days to just kind of flitter by without having something eternal to show for the hours that we have spent. We all have 24-hour days. We all have 365 days in a year. No one has more. No one has less. They're all the same. Help us, Lord, I pray, to leverage every moment, every opportunity. You tell us that we ought to buy up, that we ought to go and secure however we can, every opportunity in life. And I pray, oh God, that we would make every opportunity to do good to those of the household of faith, that we would do all that we can to encourage those that are discouraged. I pray, oh God, that we would be men and women that are contagious in our joy and that the joy of the Lord would be our strength for this week. Thank you, Lord, for these moments now that we've been together tonight. Pray your blessing upon each one and your protection as they travel the highways and as we make it our determination that we will affect the kingdom for our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.